0: Well, it goes without saying that these are tense times in Ukraine. We've heard this week many reports, contradictory reports, some from Russia saying that troops are being moved out, sent back to their bases, other from the Americans saying that, in fact, the troop buildup continues and the threat of war in Ukraine, the threat of a Russian invasion of Ukraine or a further Russian invasion is still very real. Uh, U.S. President Joe Biden today continued to warn that Russia could still invade Ukraine within days. Russia is believed to have some 150,000 military forces amassed around Ukraine's borders, again, raising fears of a new war in Europe. Joining me now from the Ukrainian capital is global affairs analyst and senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, Michael Borsicu, a Canadian, also author of Digital Pandemic. Michael, thanks so much for being here, and thanks for taking the time to speak to us tonight. Good to be with you. I guess the obvious question is: is what is the mood uh, in in Kiev these days?
1: Yeah. Thanks again for having me, Ben. Well, yeah. look, I try to circulate as much as I can with locals and with friends of mine here. Been coming here for years, as you know. And there's a, it's kind of a surreal split screen, to be honest with you. On the one hand, when here's all of the uh, rhetoric, if you will, from the diplomats, uh, the the quite uh, shaking reports coming out of Washington, including that the that the Russians have actually added 7,000 troops rather than de-escalating. Uh, but on the other hand, life in Kiev goes about as normal as one can get. However, having said that, um, there there is fewer traffic, fewer people on the streets. Those who can afford it have left for the countryside, or those who can work uh, from a distance have done so, left the capital. But the other thing, I mean... You know, Ukraine is still having an awful, awful battle with COVID-19. A lot of people are at home sick. I uh, I would say almost every second uh, household, at least here in the capital, is affected right now. It couldn't have come at a worse time, of course. And then, weirdly enough, the expat community has been really pummeled by COVID. A lot of them actually sick right now. And that is a problem. If you want to leave or evacuate, it's tough to travel, as you know, with a positive reading. So some of them are stuck at home. Look, uh, the other big point here is Ukrainians have been dealing with war of a hybrid nature for the most part since 2014. Uh, they're used to this. They're stoic people to begin yeah. with. So um, they, they realize that they're, they can't panic. Um, so they're coping as best they can. But, you know, there are some who have, you know, civilians who are taking those weekend courses in defense training. Uh, there are others who are stocking up, that sort of thing. It's, uh, again, a split screen real- reality.
0: And you did point out something interesting that a lot of private planes have been leaving uh, Kiev's airport recently as well. I guess the, those who can really afford it are, are leaving.
1: Yeah, well, um doesn't surprise me. Uh you have that uh elite uh sliver of society that lives like nobody else. Uh twenty-five or so private jets and charters apparently on Sunday. However, uh, Zelensky to his credit has told them, especially those who are members of parliament and <laughs> members of his own party to return immediately. Um a lot of people were disgusted upon hearing this. Um but it did make one wonder. Did some of them, especially those with Russian ties, have advanced warning of something? Uh, that also came up, too.
0: Right. The president, of course, Vladimir Solinsky, I'd like to talk about him a bit later because you did write an interesting uh, opinion mm-hmm. piece for CNN earlier in the week about, about him. Um, but g- returning to this, this because we've been seeing a lot about it in the news, obviously, was this idea, at least of the Russians announcing the end of military drills in some areas around the border, that troops were in fact, returning to their bases. But as you mentioned, the Americans now dispute that. In fact, Joe Biden came out this morning and pretty much said that plans for war, or plans for an invasion were already, you know, were still in the works. So what do you make of, of what's been happening between Russia and the U.S. over the past few days in this in this battle? Yeah,
1: yeah. and also um, uh, Zelensky, President Zelensky, saying that they've seen no signs of de-escalation, the foreign minister as well. Um, look, this is... Um, Cold War rhetoric times that we haven't seen for decades, really. Uh, it's sometimes hard to believe. But, uh, you know, what bothered me uh, last night or this morning, watching Maria Zakharova, the spokesperson for the Russian foreign ministry, kind of mocking the West and saying, oh, you know, if you guys know when we're going to evade, uh, let me know so I can plan my summer vacation, you know. Um, that was a kind of interesting response. But the Russians, of course, are holding their cards very close to their chest. I think, Ben, what is different this time is there a lot better ears and eyes eyes in the sky, especially from the West? And I think they're finally sharing more intelligence with Ukraine, which is what they've been demanding all along. So one hopes that should a move be made, uh, that uh, Ukraine, especially, will have some sort of advanced notice. Um, but. You know, the other factor we all have to consider here is in order, for, for example, the Russian troops to invade from the north, Belarus, because it is not that far really from the Ukrainian capital, they need that solid frozen drown, ground rather to move the heavy weaponry. And that just does not exist right now. I think we hit a high of nine Celsius today and it's raining. Uh, it's going to be the more precipitation on the way. So it's going to make really messy going. Um, I hate to say it, Ben, but uh, that being the case, if the order were made, um, it would probably be done first by airstrikes. Now, my personal feeling is, given everything I'm hearing, everything I'm seeing, um, as you know, I was here with the OSCE special monitoring mission to Ukraine, is that I think what could happen first is a formal kind of takeover of the Donbass, those areas being occupied by the Russian-backed thugs. Um, maybe Russia t- taking a kind of formal occupation of that. There's already been a motion in the Russian Duma uh, to, to gain more control over that area. Whether they're going to per, uh, pursue that through um, diplomatic or legal means remains to be seen. For example, the Russians could come to the Ukrainians and say, you, when you signed the Minsk Accords, you promised that uh, you know, there would be a vote for some kind of semi-autonomy for those eastern uh, regions. However, the Ukrainians will tell you that in order for Ukraine even to consider that, uh, the Russians have to withdraw heavy weaponry, there has to be a ceasefire, and very crucially, they have to return control of the Ukrainian border over to the Ukrainians.
0: And, and you've been seeing some worrying sides, and this reminded me of 2014 uh, again, when when that invasion, initial uh, takeover of those two uh, eastern areas, uh, the Donbass as it's known, but Donetsk, being the big city there, uh, by Russian-backed militias and you know Russian troops, effectively, um, that you've seen some sort of ratcheting up of, of of the rhetoric and the exchanges, so that there's it's heating up in that area, and it feels like it could be a pretext for Russia to claim some sort of reason for for moving forward with with that region.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just this morning, um, we uh, saw um, reporting on um, a town, a Ukrainian town along the contact line, so-called dividing line between the Russian-backed thugs and the Ukrainian side, uh, being shelled, this town being shelled and included in the hit was a kindergarten. Unfortunately, no kids were hurt, but um, uh, this this uh, was quite a bad one, uh, all things considered. Um, and uh, for any side to strike a school or a kindergarten is not only disgusting, violates international law. I don't know where Our children's rights organizations are on this one. I haven't heard a peek from them. But um, the other thing, aside from that physical evidence of more aggression, is the rhetoric, as you said. Uh, Very worrying, actually, are the Russian-backed combatants using terms like genocide, accusing the Ukrainians of genocide in Eastern Ukraine. They've even said in the past 24 hours or so that the Ukrainians, they've discovered mass graves that Ukrainians have placed there. This is the kind of stuff I think you hear when something is about to happen. I don't know if you want to call it a false flag operation or something, but that the Russians will use this as a protest to say, okay, we're coming in. We have 400,000, 500,000 or so Russian passport holders in the Donbass. They need to be protected. We're going in. So it's a very, very tense time because of all of this.
0: I'm back with Michael Borsicu, global affairs analyst and senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, author of Digital Pandemic. We've been discussing the situation in Ukraine. He's in the capital, Kiev, at this moment. Uh, We've been talking about uh, conflicting reports as to whether or not the Russians have actually been reducing the number of troops uh, amassed along the Ukrainian border. The Americans now say that that is not the case. In fact, there are more troops there. We've also been talking about the fact that the rhetoric, at least within Russia, about uh, allegations of human rights abuses in areas where there are Russian passport holders in that area controlled by Russian-backed militias called the Donbass, may be a prelude to some sort of Russian movement back into or further into Ukraine. Um, You wrote an interesting piece this week for CNN about the president, Vladimir Zelensky, uh, because he is a rookie. And I remember when, of course, when he was elected um, and he did play a president on TV. So he comes, he doesn't have a lot of political experience. Uh, What has been the assessment with his performance so far, at least with his leadership during this crisis? and, And how are Ukrainians reacting to it?
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, that was uh, quite an interesting piece to write. Well, look, up until yesterday, um, when they had that so-called National uh, Day of Unity, a lot of Ukrainians were asking, where is our president? Why aren't we hearing more from him? Why isn't he telling us what to do? Um, Why isn't he boosting morale? So yesterday he was out there, uh, did a kind of whirlwind tour of Ukraine. And, you know, that that I think helped people. Uh, but I think, you know, a lot of Ukrainians uh, are telling me they've just tuned out of the news. They don't listen to it anymore. So they're out of his kind of reach. But Zelensky, look, uh, it, it could be him or could be anywhere, anyone else. You never really get training as to be a wartime president, right? He has uh, come a long, long way. Um, so, you know, we have to give him credit for that. But I think he has to cool it a bit in terms of the jokes. Uh, I think... Um, you know, the the other worry, he is saying that uh, the West has overreacted. He's been very, very critical of other countries, including Canada, for evacuating their diplomats. Um, and, you know, he's saying that it, the threat is not as big as we're hearing from the United States. Well, I think they both better get on the same page because that could drive a wedge in terms of what the strategy is going to be. One more quick thing, Ben, which is really, really important. Um is I think as we find the diplomatic toolbox being emptied out, diplomacy is basically on the floor right now with Russia, that you will see more desperation on the West. You will see more pressure on Zelensky to come to some sort of agreement. Uh, I I don't know if we can call it capitulation, but there will be increasing pressure on him, I think, to um, temporarily shelve their bid for NATO membership Or to grant uh, the occupied Donbass some sort of semi-autonomy. Should one of those things uh, happen, let's not kid ourselves, you will see people out on the streets here because there's no support whatsoever for stopping the bid for NATO or for giving the thugs in the Donbass more autonomy.
0: And, uh, and you mentioned earlier, the Russians, of course, have already responded when speaking of the rhetoric or speaking of the negotiations, the Russians have responded to, uh, to U.S. demands again, and uh, they're not budging on any of what, what they are asking for at this point. So there's very little give on the Russian side, as far as we can tell.
1: Yeah, in fact, uh, I'm just reading the translation of the Russian response, and uh, I think the word strike is used there. there were, you know, eventually saying that, you know, this need, may need to be resolved in non-diplomatic ways. Um, the expulsion of the deputy U.S. ambassador to Russia in January done quietly. But again, it, um, my goodness, it, it seems so much we're back in a kind of Cold War um mode look um the other thing i think this is really important to point out uh, in the background is if we look at mr putin right now he's getting older um he is a, a kind of political chess player and i think he feels that if he's going to make any sort of mood move to redraw the european security infrastructure to bring ukraine voluntarily or involuntarily back into kind of the russian fold, now is the time to do it i think he feels the chips are lined up He's got these um, you know, masses of troops along Ukraine's borders. He sees a very divided West. He sees a divided West that is partially distracted by COVID-19. He sees Europe on its knees for energy. And he's also in a very tightening embrace with China, which um, seems to be backing Russian moves now, and including aligning itself with Russia and the UN Security Council. So a lot of things at play here. Um, but, um, you know, and lastly, of course the west does speak often including canada of biting sanctions but i'm not sure those work anymore i think they're willing to take the pain in order to achieve some of their long-held goals
0: it isn't it is certainly a it's been interesting how it's been playing out i mean there's there's a, it's, it's very hard to figure out what exactly putin's calculations are these days and and, and when exactly he would think it would be appropriate to go and, and just how much he's playing a weekend or mm-hmm. he has a stronger hand than we expect um the last question i was going i was going to ask you was just about and this always comes up here how has canada's involvement been perceived so far in in ukraine because we 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 finally um, I, I, we finally granted some lethal aid this week that we saw. Um, you know what has been the overall assessment of Canada's role in this, if there is one, at this point?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, Ben. It's very important. Well, look, um, Canada was the first uh, Western country to recognize Ukraine 30 years ago. Uh, it, it portrays itself as a very close ally, and a lot of that, of course, is driven by the huge Ukrainian diaspora in Canada. They're they've always been, uh, you know, very activist and uh, very uh, strategic in terms of. Informing the Canadian government what to do, but I think a lot of us, I'm Ukrainian heritage, Canadian, of course, feel very let down um, by uh, the Trudeau administration uh, insisting upon pursuing a diplomatic path. Well, I'm sorry, but the time has long passed of you know uh, Russia, uh, you know, responding to threats or to rhetoric that doesn't work anymore. Yes, uh, Canada did finally step up to the plate and are giving more than flat jackets to the Ukrainians, but I understand that this. Aid is slightly conditional. Um, I have to study it more, but it's not everything we had hoped for. Um, and then in kind of broader sense, Ben, um uh, oh, sorry, one more thing. And of course, you know, ranking all the diplomats out and sending them to Lviv, a, a lot of people here were disappointed by that, including Mr. Zelensky. I think um it makes us look weak. And then finally, on that point, where is Canada now on the world stage? Where is the Canada where as Justin Trudeau once proclaimed the world needs more Canada. We're not a middle power anymore, at least we're not acting like it. I mean, even starting with the appointment of Melanesia Lee as foreign minister, taking a junior minister and awarding her for her political efforts to be in one of the top positions in the Canadian government to deal with foreign affairs was a real head scratcher. Um, Her trip here uh, was seen as a PR stunt for the most part. Her uh, rhetoric was uh, very weak, tentative. So we're not where we should be, uh, and it saddens me, because if there's ever time, uh, Ukraine needed candidates right now.
0: Michael Borsuch, thank you so much for your time tonight.
1: My pleasure.